Muhammad. I was watching these boys speak. They're like 10 years old. There isn't a fault in their voice. You close your eyes. You cannot believe this child is a, a profoundly deaf child. Welcome to the Mo Show podcast. Before we get started, I'd like to take a minute to thank one of our newest sponsors. This is a company that I'm a very big fan of. You'll find some really cool stuff, just unique pieces on their website and app that's super user-friendly, which is great for me because I can't tolerate apps that aren't. So Dukan is kind of like an Etsy, for those familiar with Etsy. I love the fact that there's Saudi startup. We'd love to see more and more startups going forward. That's something that really excites me. Their CEO, Ammar Wagana, was on episode eight, which was an incredible episode because he discussed what it was like entering the entrepreneurial world, what it was like for him entering the startup, and the challenges and the success that he's seen since founding and running Dukkan Afkar. I'll tell you what, I'll add the link to that episode below. I'll also add the links to their website and Instagram for you guys to take a look. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Welcome to The Mo Show, episode 22. My guest tonight is my aunt, Sultana Ali Rida. In 1991, her and her husband founded Jinda's Institute for Speech and Hearing, JISH. It's a nonprofit organization that was established to help those with communication disorders, i.e. articulation, fluency, receptive, and expressive language delay. They set out to help both young and old in our community to achieve their maximum communication potential. I'm Sultana, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the Mosho today, and I really appreciate everything that you do for us in the community, so welcome. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, wa salatu wassalam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Thank you, Muhammad. I'd like to add Habibi, since you're my nephew, <laughs> for having me today. It's an incredible opportunity for me, mashallah. Your show is uh, incredible, and we watched uh, every episode. Thank you so much. You have very interesting and talented uh, guests, and mashallah, it's wonderful. I love the work you're doing, and you're putting such an amazing uh, light on Saudi Arabia and its people. So good luck to that, and I'm very honored to be asked today. Honors all mine, I'm Zoltana. Coming from you, it uh, it means the world to me. It really does. You're, you're one of the people who I, I look up to genuinely. And, and I do consider you my second mother. I've said that to you on many occasions, and I don't say that to anyone else. You are genuinely a second mother to me. So uh, I really appreciate those words. Uh, I'm a Sultana. There's just so many areas where we can start, but I want to go with how was the last year for you and the family? I know you did some time in the UK. Now you're back here with the chaos of Corona and, and, and all the uncertainty that came with that. How did you manage to weather the storm that was the last year, year and a half? Wallahi, Muhammad, uh, alhamdulillah, I mean, uh, I think every cloud has a silver lining. In this particular case, for myself, for my family, for work too, for Jish, there's been a silver lining in this COVID. For one, on a personal level, I was able to, uh, my, my daughter uh, got married and is living in the UK now. It so happened that her the first baby was born about a week before COVID broke out, so end of February. I was there f to attend the delivery, and then COVID happened. So instead of staying, you know, six weeks or four weeks with her, I was obliged, if you will, to stay three, four months with her before I could come because it was locked down and airports were closed. So th obviously that was a blessing. Yeah. So I was able to be there and, and watch my baby grandson grow a little bit and, and be there to support her, you know, in, 
in a, in a foreign country, if yeah, you will, yeah, in her needed, new home. Yeah. So that was really a, a wonderful uh, opportunity. Then I, I was able to come back, and then there was lockdown, and we we were obviously very lucky to lock down with my the rest of my my children and their families in one location yeah. for a few months. So that played itself really well. It was like some big village, and we were there together all the time. So again, another silver lining. And for work, really, for many years now, we've been trying to uh, launch telepractice. In the U.S., uh, many of the rural areas don't have services, and so many therapists are able to provide speech uh, therapy, language therapy to clients that are living in rural areas through telepractice, which is using what we call today online treatment. In the beginning, obviously, it was very difficult. My dream has been to be able to, uh, now that, mashallah, there's quite a, a number of speech therapists in our city of Jidda, something that did not exist uh, 30 years ago when we first started, I, I would love to be able to export our expertise to the more rural areas in the kingdom uh, that don't have uh, facilities, obviously, that the big cities have. Yeah. So COVID really enabled us to yeah. do that. People yeah. were much more accepting, and, and even today, it, our local residents of Jeddah that come for therapy, the minute we have a problem or a clinician is not feeling too well, obviously she stays home, but then if she's not too ill, she does her, uh, her therapy session online yeah, yeah. to her client that actually comes to the center. So there was a silver lining there. We have a whole gamut of services we provide now online. Mm -hmm. And we're going to, we're reaching, of course, also the rural areas and we're planning on a serious establishment of programs with uh, welfare societies in the south and in the north. So that's, COVID obviously is a dark period in the history of humankind, man-made, I might ask, yeah. you know, part of it. Yeah. And at the same time, I think humans are very interesting. They, you throw a challenge to them and then they, they, they rise. And that's the only way to grow is if you go above and beyond the challenge Absolutely. you presented. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing to see how you uh, managed to weather that storm. Not, not, not easy when faced with a challenge, especially not uh, when you have a business and, um, and that it requires people to come in. But I liked uh, what you touched on in that you were able to reach people who weren't in the city. That's interesting because now you're helping people not just within your city limits, but those that live in, 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 in rural areas. I can imagine, I mean, throughout the years that you've been in operation, people would probably travel great distances to come in, to come and see you. And, you know, bless the internet, you know, it accelerated the future in some respect, yeah. like, you know, via Zoom, etc. So, uh, Amber, before we jump into, into Jish and that whole establishment, uh, your, your schooling was, was abroad, right? Schooling was in, was in France? Uh, is that where you... Yes, I was just talking to my friend in the car coming over. <laughs> I was one of those unfortunate uh, people that got sent to boarding school when I was seven years old. Yeah. <laughs> you know, back in the day, I mean, I'm... I'm I'm a 65-year-old woman, and so back, back, all the way back then, uh, school uh, was just starting for girls in, in, in the country. And my father was also in and out of uh, the foreign service. Mm -hmm. So I think it was just, they found that it was probably more, uh, you know, instead of jumping around from country to country, possibly, that it would be a good idea just to park us somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so we were parked, uh, I was parked at the age of seven in uh, France. First Switzerland and then France, mm -hmm. and then eventually Halas. I just finished my high schooling um, in that country, and then came back home and uh, and got married when I was nineteen. Oh wow! 
quite early. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, time times has changed. Uh, times have changed since uh, since yeah. then. So, did you ever expect yourself to to enter the uh, the, the the medical industry in in some respect? No, of course not. First of all, I, I I only had a high school education to start with, and then got married, and then like many people did back in the day, had started my family and yeah. had four children. And I actually, th- I wanted to go back, but some of my friends, local in Jeddah, some of my girlfriends, many of them married my age and then continued the, their university studies at King Abdelaziz University. And mashallah, some of them have accounting degrees and all different kinds of degrees. So they continued while being married and having children. And I looked into that, I remember, in the beginning, but my Arabic uh, was unfortunately very poor. I didn't have a standard high enough to enter university, even though there was an English track and I could have had, I could have gone into English literature, but you still had uh, many subject matter that needed to be uh, in Arabic. And I, my Arabic was not to the standard that uh, met the requirements at the university. Probably because you were shipped off at the age of seven. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) And so, so, so yeah, you, you, you came back eventually and then you started your family and you had your beautiful kids. At what point did uh, did you decide that you wanted to open Jidda Institute for Hearing and Speech? I, Subhanallah. Well, first we had our firstborn Haytham, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, my, uh, Alhamdulillah, he didn't have any uh, any problems with his hearing. And then uh, we had a second child, but uh, a premature birth, and so that Rabbana Makatab, so he did not survive. And then we had our uh, third son Hamza who was born hearing and then somewhere along when he was about three years old i began to notice that there was a discrepancy in his uh, speech his articulation he didn't he wasn't quite so fluent and his didn't utter sentences that were commensurate with his uh, biological chronological age if you will Mm -hmm. so normally a child with normally developing language by the age of three should speak like a little adult should have enough vocabulary that they can string a proper sentence together to express not only their what they need, but also can express their feelings. And they're little people. By yeah. the time they're three years old, they're little people. And we have a personal experience with that with your little boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That story I told I'm you a week ago. So yeah, so by the time he was three years old, and that wasn't clearly, I mean, his language was definitely nowhere near that. I was wondering if there was something, what, what, what it could be. So eventually, fast forward, we discovered uh, on a trip to the UK for the summer that uh, he had a severe to profound hearing mm-hmm. loss. And then after that, we had our son, Muhammad, who had the same problem. And then eventually our daughter, Rasha, who also had developed the same problem. But by, by the grace of God, alhamdulillah, and his mercy, they were all born hearing. And then gradually the hearing just got uh, less and less. So that is, of course, I mean, a great mercy because to be born completely deaf, but I want to come back to that too, mm-hmm. is very different than being born with hearing because the brain is so plastic in an infant that they must have acquired, you know, some basic sound that were, you know, processed in their head. Yeah. Anyway, so with speech and hearing, at the time in Saudi, we didn't have those services. So, Alhamdulillah, Fadlillah. We had the resources to take them abroad to the UK and then eventually to the US where they uh, had really very good quality speech language services in the summertime. We saw a geneticist, you know, because that's what you do when you're both hearing and uh, you have ch- three children that obviously have a genetic 
element that caused this hearing uh, loss. So we saw this doctor in America, and he told us that they had an autosomal recessive gene, which means that you have a 25% chance to have a child that is hearing impaired. But in our case, instead of being one child out of four children, it turned out to be 75%. So one child was normal hearing and three children had the hearing. And I remember he said uh, something that really struck my husband and I, and he said, uh, I guess this was your bad luck. And uh, I remember Walid got very, very upset when we walked out of there. He, he, he was so upset. And I was upset, of course, and, but I was trying to make things a bit easier for him. And he said, I can't believe this man would call our children bad luck, you know. And at that moment, I remember thinking, because, of course, alhamdulillah, you know, in our faith, we, we believe in fate and it's that some things are out of your control and that, that God has always a reason for something to happen. And that in your lifetime, you might see it. And maybe you don't see it in your lifetime. Maybe you find out much later when we all go up there what this was all about anyway. So I said to him, I said, you know, subhanAllah, there must be a hikmah, a wisdom in this somewhere along the line. And, and we're going to find out one day why. And I really had no idea. I was just, you know, trying to be clever, I guess. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I tried to make things a bit more uh, accepting for him. And that was that. So we came back to Saudi, and then when my daughter was about three years old and she started nursery school, I went to uh, help a friend of mine, Mahaja Fali, uh, as a volunteer at the help center. She had just opened the help center. It's still active today, of course, mashallah. Of course, mashallah, yeah, yeah, quite, yeah. Quite, quite big and thriving, mm-hmm. and Maha <clears throat> is, a, you know, she's a, she's a dynamic, very clever, and also, mashallah, a very capable young woman. And so I worked uh, there, as a volunteer for two years. And there was a speech pathologist, an American woman, whose husband worked for Saudia. And I used to help her be the, under, you know, sort of the translator in her session, speech sessions with, her, with the kids. And she was the one who said to me after two years, you know, if you have the resources, you shouldn't spend your time volunteering like this. You should do maybe something, uh, pr- try to set up a center because that's what's missing in your city. And she then, I went home and I thought, oh my God, oh my God, maybe this is what it was about. So I remember telling Walid, I, I think I know what the hikmah was, what God had meant, why he gave us three children that have this problem. So he said, uh, okay, what is it? So I said, well, maybe he meant for us to be there for others, you know, to help others. Like we say in Arabic. And you know, right away, you know, right away, he said, okay, what do you want to do? So I said, well, I'm not quite sure. How about we open a place for kids with, with hearing impairment? Because that's all I knew. I didn't know something called communication disorders no. and that huge yeah. umbrella yeah. That under which many yeah. disorders come under. I just knew deafness and speech therapy. Yeah. You learned it on, on the job. So then I asked this lady, He said, okay, go do your homework. But if we do something, we do it at the best possible standard. I'm not putting my name and I'm not trying to fool anybody to do something that is supposedly for the community. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we do it like we say in Arabic, nuskum, like a half a short sleeve. You know, we either go the whole nine yards and do something that, 
you know, we are proud of and that's good enough for our kids. Yeah. You won't be taking your kids to the States for therapy yeah. and then you open up, a, you know, yeah. a half, you know, what place. Yeah, you want it to be top notch. It top had notch. to be top notch. Yeah. So we, we did some research and this lady helped me locate a couple that were at the, same, at the time at the, at the University of uh, King Saud University in Riyadh in an undergrad program there. They were from Atlanta, an American couple. He was a speech scientist and she was a PhD in speech language pathology. Mm-hmm. And that was my first proper education, you know, as to what it would entail and what are the different communication disorders, and that if we were to open a place like this, we shouldn't just restrict it to hearing impairment, that these young women and men that are training at King Saud at the BA level, trained to actually work with people with uh, fluency, which is stuttering, articulation, delayed language, Mm -hmm. and many other things, and aphasia for adults also, you know, those who have a stroke and lose the ability to communicate. So that was my first weekend of education. And that was the beginning. It was just after the first Gulf War. Yeah, Yeah. 1991. Yeah. Yeah. Was it difficult, like the beginning, like the first year, the challenges from, you know, or an organizational structure and the hiring, finding the right people to to run the show? I know you were there, you know, every day. But was, was there a challenge in getting this business off the ground, essentially a business you know nothing about? Well, it was a it was a challenge thirty years ago, and it's still a challenge today. <laughs> Nothing's changed. <laughs> Nothing's huh? changed. Wow. A, a little bit, a little bit has changed. I, I have to say, experience. Uh, yeah, the experience, and maybe tr- roll a bit. Uh, maybe I roll a bit better with the punches yeah. now. Yeah. And uh, it was the school of hard knocks for me. I mean, I did not have the educational background to run a place like that. I could not have done it without really. Walid, my husband's total, total support. I mean, he would have his job, mm-hmm. come home in the, in the evening, and then I'd come home in the evening, and uh, you know, he'd start explaining to me about human resources and and about laws and about the Ministry of Labor and you know all different kinds yeah, of, and management, the yeah. management. You know, I mean, I knew nothing, and I was extremely insecure. Because I realized that all the people that we hired were highly educated people. I mean, I was a high school leaver that was the boss of people that had PhDs. Now, how does that work? It's a bit intimidating. Very intimidating. Yeah, yeah. Very intimidating. Yeah. But I, I, I'm sure I'm knowing you, Amstani, you came to grips with it quickly. No, I didn't come to grips with it. It was very difficult. It's on top of it is the science. It's I mean, I, you know, it was a scientific uh, field. It was a medical field. So I had to, I, I learned a lot. I, I, I was passionate. Yeah. And you know, when you're passionate about something and fascinated, and I really felt the responsibility on a number of levels. Yeah. First of all, I, I, I had this responsibility I felt towards God, to be honest, because we are a nonprofit organization. So there was that area that I had to really make sure that we did things the right way because I had a boss as far as I was concerned. And then, of course, to try to make it financially sustainable, which uh, to to this day it's not, okay? And then I felt a humongous responsibility towards the patients, the clients, the kids, the families that entrusted their children to our care. And then I felt a responsibility to all these young people because once we hired, we only hired uh, really young people that were fresh out of university. 
And the reason for that was Dr. Frieda, may God rest her soul, used to say, we don't want to hire anybody with bad habits. We want to train. So really just today, and has been for the past 30 years, and now we have proper license to do that, we are a training center, yeah. really, yeah. for professionals. Yeah. And, and I'm proud of that, yeah. really. You should be. I'm really proud of that. I, I, hear, uh, you know, I hear a lot of people say to me, Mohammed, like, I, I want to help. I want to do better in my community. I want to do things, but I don't know how to. Okay, I'll give them out on the street, but I want to do more. I want to do more. I feel like, as you touched on, like, God giving you three children who are hearing impaired was his gift to you, albeit perhaps not something you saw at the time. But when that when it came full circle, Amustana, you did something in our community that I don't think is matched by anyone else. I'm trying to think how many people have come through the doors of Jish? How many people have you changed their lives for the better since the establishment of um, of, of the center? And this is something that inshallah is is, is a legacy that you and Amwalid are going to leave behind. Do you ever stop and think like how, 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 how much good you've done in our community in helping those people? Like do you ever pause and rest on your laurels? You, you don't. You should. There's two reasons for for that. First of all, the first, really, firstly, I really, you know, I, I don't want to sound like George Bush used to sound like when he used to say that God speaks to him. But the reality is that every step of the way, Muhammad, there was God looking out for us, because really I was so ignorant, and I am still, to a certain extent, quite ignorant. And things are out of our control, you know. Every time a door would shut, because we were pioneers. As you said, nothing like we have today existed back then. Yeah. So even in dealing with the Ministry of Health and trying to hire people and getting licenses, and it, it's always been, we're always at the far forefront. Uh, as we speak today, okay, and I'd like to touch on that, we have a, a division that's called the Applied Behavior Analysis Clinic, which deals and provides uh, services and treatment, science-based, you know, absolutely hardcore science-based therapy for children uh, with autism, so on the spectrum. We, we still don't have a licensing uh, body for this field. We have students that are in universities in, mashallah, Saudi, doing their master's degree in this field. Ministry of Health doesn't know, you know, haram. <laughs> I kind of feel for them. They don't know if this should be under Ministry of Health. So they toss it to Ministry of Education. And they say, no, 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 no. You should get licensed by Ministry of Education. Ministry of Education says, no, no, this is not education. This is, you know, medical, science. Yeah, yeah. Go back to the Ministry of Health. Is it on the border? Like, are you like a foot in each? In all fairness. You know, even in the U.S., because it's really it's based on you know behavioral behavior science, and it's based on the behavioral uh, principles of Piaget. Okay. okay. So even until recently in the U.S., they not wasn't weren't quite sure under what board it should be okay. licensed. Yeah. So obviously, again, the first clinic that ever opened in the kingdom was at Jish. Yeah. Un you know, uncharted. Yeah, in this field. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So now at least we can operate. Okay, if we have uh, young women and men who mm -hmm. have an undergrad in psychology. Okay. Yeah. So if you have, uh, so you have to have a PhD in psychology to run the division under Ministry of Health. 
And then all your practitioners have to have an undergrad in psychology. And then what they do after that, if they have a degree in ABA, applied behavior analysis, it's fine, yeah. you know. But so again, you know, it's uh, re- yani, it, it's groundbreaking work. Yeah, it know? is. So absolutely. that's why it's always a challenge. Yeah, it is. But uh, there's no time to sit and think, oh, I've done this or I've done that. I do cry a lot when I see kids that you know, have been, had a um, cochlear implant. Like two weeks ago, we had a mother's uh, support group and that went on Instagram and we, mashallah, the, the, the therapist had an amazing uh, program for them. And they videoed some of the kids that had started with us and that had an implanted, been implanted with a cochlear when they were, let's say, two or three or four. Muhammad, I was watching these boys speak. They're like 10 years old. There isn't a fault in their voice. You close your eyes. You cannot believe this child is a profoundly deaf child. The language they have acquired, the articulation, the sound coming. Yeah, I cried. You know, mashallah, really, that's when I feel, I feel like it's all been worth it, you know. And when we have young Saudi males, or mostly, that say that, thanks to therapy, adjust their life, and they can get a job now. Yeah. Because, you know, there still is discrimination against people with the communication disorders yeah. all over the world, True. but not any different here. Yeah. So many young men who, uh, or women, but mostly it's more prevalent in males, yeah. if they go for a job interview and he's stuttering, he's not getting the job. Yeah. And in school, if you're stuttering, yeah, you're, you're, you you're often bullied. I've of seen course, it. of seen course. It. I mean, hey, President Biden was a stutterer, and he speaks about that, mm-hmm. you know. So he's really shining the light on stuttering and fluency in the U.S. now. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's when I feel good. That's yeah. when, when a young man comes back and says he's, he got the job, yeah. you know. And the young, my therapists are all young women mm-hmm. now. They're all trained in Saudi Arabia. They all have a bachelor's and 90% of my clinic now have a master's degree in speech language pathology. Mm-hmm. Saudi girls? Saudi and non-Saudis, but Spanat al Balad. You know, they live here, they're resident, mm-hmm. they were born here. So as far as I'm concerned, this is yeah. their country, Saudi even bread. if yeah. Saudi born and bred. Yeah. And in their hearts, they don't know anything else but this community and this country that's been so good to them. They're incredible. They're fluent, bilingual. They're all board certified from the American Speech and Hearing Association board certification with a master's mm-hmm. degree. I mean, you mentioned the American Institute for Speech and the Hearing. The American yeah, Association for Speech and Hearing, ASHA. ASHA. I was going to ask you, is, do you work with any entities uh, closely in the West, like in terms of you know best practices? Do you, them, them. That you, yeah, and that's is, where you work This with. is our umbrella. So we okay. have that umbrella, the American Speech and Hearing Association, ASHA. Okay. They are the, the, the organization that we go to mm-hmm. when we either want to uh, publish papers, publish research papers, or if we want to know the latest, of course, they're all certified. And mm-hmm. Dr. Nahla Dashash is my clinical director. Her PhD is uh, early intervention, but speech pathology from uh, Howard University in DC. Mm-hmm. So she goes straight into the system and looks up anything oh, we wow. need to look up. And our clinic runs from A to Z, based on best pr- clinical practice from at the American Speech, amazing. yeah, have according ever, to their standards. That's awesome. Yeah. Have they visited you? Have they ever been to Saudi? Yeah, we've had uh, many visitors come down and speakers when we hold our symposium. 
And we've also had uh, a certificate of appreciation back in the 90s, actually, for the work we do uh, based on their standards, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And I think at the time, we were probably the only clinic outside of the U.S. that implemented this. Because it's very costly, very costly yeah. to implement that standard of quality. Yeah. And today, it's a nonprofit organization, always was. And these people that come for help, they come for free. No. Let me explain how the system works. So it's like a sliding scale, okay? So if you come in and you can pay for the services, we tell you how much a, a diagnostic will cost, your, your consultation, then your diagnostic. That is very necessary for us to do the treatment plan. So we first have to diagnose where the problems are, what, what you're not doing, yeah. okay? And then we can design the treatment plan. Then you go into treatment. So if you, you're fine, then you go in and you pay your fee. Adi, you know, we have some well-to-do families, some, you know, families able to pay for the services. And, and then we have families that is like a scale, you yeah, know, I mean, yeah, their yeah. economic situation uh, doesn't allow them necessarily to pay for the entire session yeah. as it stands. So uh, then we, we tell them we have a sponsorship fund. Uh, they go meet with, they have an interview with our social worker. And uh, together with the social worker, they have to provide documentation about the income, the salary, the, if they're renting a home, if they have any debts to banks or for cars or whatever. And then together with that social worker, they decide together on how much they want to contribute to the session. And then the rest of it, the balance, is uh, covered by the sponsorship fund. Okay, fantastic. And, and, and is it a few entities almost like charitable donations that contribute to this fund? It depends. We have, uh, we have a zakah fund. So some people donate from their zakah money. So this money is in a, it's in a fund that, you know, that's why I tell you, yeah, he's my boss. Man above, yeah. 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 So we answer to Rabbana subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and we don't buy materials with this. We don't pay, we don't pay salaries. Yeah. We, it goes directly to the payment for the session. If the patient doesn't have the session, uh, we get burned because let's say you, you're, it, it's 250 riyals a session. Yeah. So let's say you pay 50 riyals or 20 riyals or 10 riyals, and the fund subsidizes the balance yeah. of this. If you, so I get 10 sessions, you pay 10 sessions in advance, because yeah. that makes people a lot more, um, like, uh, like, what's the word I'm looking yeah, for? Yeah, like, like, like they, 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 they show up. Yeah, they'll stick with it, exactly. Yeah. They'll adhere. <laughs> so sometimes, okay, unless, of course, you have a doctor's note, then that's different, then you obviously get, get another session or three or four whatever sessions. Mm. But if you just don't show up, then you lose your 10 riyals or whatever you paid. But the balance of that session, I will not take it from the sponsor. Yeah, fund. you'd have to go out Because that means I'm punishing God. Yeah, That's God's yeah. money. Wow, there's, there's a lot of uh, ethics here. Of course. Yeah, it's kind of on a day-to-day -day scale. Of course. Yeah. And, and it, that really hurts because that causes uh, often the deficit in our budget. Mm, mm. You know? An organization like this really, honestly, cannot really survive. Uh, as a business, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. uh, because um, first of all, if you cut corners and do things cheaply, then because, for example, uh, how we run things is that for every uh, every clinician has to try to see seven, six for sure mm -hmm. uh, patients uh, a day. 
I mean, you, you know, you go to a hospital, a doctor doesn't see six patients a day. Yeah. A doctor has to see 20 patients yeah. a day, if not more. But we only, ex so based on the American Speech and Hearing Association standards, you can go up to eight patients a day. But we, you know, are, are, they burn out at seven. Yeah. So we say, okay, just try to see your six. So imagine if in, within your six, they would have to see six every day for us to just even break even. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a big order. Imagine when when the six, you know, two don't show every day, you know, so you've lost uh, your income yeah. for that day, of two two sessions yeah. that have gone. So you've only done four. Yeah. So really, that's the another challenge. Yeah. That's a, really just trying is, to make ends meet, yeah. and we can't make yeah. ends meet. So yeah. alhamdulillah. 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 Do you enjoy what you do there on a daily basis when you go into work? Are you excited every day? Yeah, I do because I love people. And also I love the people I work with. I mean, I've been very, very fortunate that my partners, whether it's my clinical director, Dr. Nahla at Dashash, mashallah, we started this thing together. If you remember, Dr. Ahmed Dashash used to be Darafika's his headmaster for no. some time, maybe, maybe after, maybe maybe after, after time. your time. Yeah. So she comes from a, a long-standing family in education, and her sister, mashallah, is uh, Dr. Nohad Dashash, who okay. is, uh, works at the Ministry of Health, and she was the person, head person running COVID in Jeddah. So, mashallah, we've been together now 30 years. I hired her when she was 22 years old. So she went on scholarship for a master's degree on, on GIST scholarship, and then did her PhD on GIST scholarship. We've mm -hmm. also educated probably about 50 people in scholarships for her master's degree. Shalom, that's amazing. Over the years. Yeah. So we're a team, and then there's Miss Dania Madani, who's also her second in command. She's mm -hmm. the head of the, the speech de department. Mm -hmm. And then there is my HR person, uh, Miss Sarah Gurunpul, who's an incredible new addition. I mean, we've been 10 years now, and she's uh, a force to reckon with, you know, Saudi. And then there's Mr. Ihab, our operations man. We're a team. Yeah. We're a family. family. It's a family yeah. now. Amazing. And even some of our girls have been with us maybe 15 years. Yeah. They get headhunted all the time. <laughs> That's yeah. not fun. I'm sure after the training that they've gone through, through yeah. you, you know, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they become a catch to yeah. anyone looking yeah. to hire. I'm going to have to go in an area where you probably don't want me to go, but I need to know. Uh, you have had your hardships through work and through family. What was the hardest thing you'd had to go through Amma, in your career as a mother or a business owner? I have to pick one of them, right? Yeah, the hardest thing that the great Amma Sultana had to face. I think it was work. Work. It was work, you know. Honestly, I, you know, I'm not, that's not what, that's not who I am. Okay, I'm a people's person. You are. I love people. And I'm I really, I don't think I, I would have ever been able to do what I do if it hadn't been for my husband, who is a real businessman with a big heart. And, but he knows his stuff. I mean, he does know. indeed. Yeah, he knows his stuff really well. And yet he has a big heart. And he's very forgiving and uh, of me <laughs> and very supportive, just so supportive. So I needed that help more than anything else because that really is not who I am. Yeah. I'm just, I love people, I love the kids, I love working with people, but that doesn't pay the bills. Yeah. So that was, that was the challenge. Yeah. Uh, that's the hardest thing for me. Mm -hmm. It wasn't raising my kids. People think it was my 
raising my kids. Yeah, I, I was of the mindset of Yeah, that, you yeah. thought that would be it. Yeah. Well, it was hard because they were naughty. And, uh, you know, they had three boys. Mm -hmm. And so boys will put you through hoops. I mean, I've got one that just fell off a motorcycle last week and yeah. needed surgery. Yeah. And the other one fell off a bicycle a month ago and yeah. also ended up in hospital. The other one also had his hands broken. I mean, they drove me crazy that yeah. way. Maybe yeah. the worry. Maybe their disability caused me to become a, a, a worrier. Yeah. Every step of the way when they were small, I worried about, oh, they're not going to be able to handle the next step. So, you know, when Hamza was in nursery school, first of all, the, the owner of the school here in Jeddah wouldn't accept him when she saw the hearing aids. So that was the first wow. challenge. Yeah. If it hadn't been for her partner who owned the school, who happened to be a, a friend of the family, well, he, she wouldn't have taken him, mm -hmm. you know. But then, Habibi, mashallah, you know, yani God gives, God takes and he gives. Yeah. You know, they're clever kids. They managed really well in school, mashallah. Yeah. And they had... And I'm also grateful for the family support. Yeah. I mean, uh, Hamza had uh, Mish'al, who was his buddy in class yeah. for the longest time. And then there was Zaid, you know, his cousin from on the other side of the family. Mm -hmm. um, and those two come to mind, you know, as the people the closest to him, they were always there for him. Yeah. And remember, Mish'al in class used to, if the Ustaz said something, uh, Mish'al would, uh, you know, you know, Maim Hamza, yeah. knock him and then just Tell repeat him. to him exactly yeah. what the Ustaz yeah. said, bring out your class, <laughs> your, your daftar, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, and then Muhammad, of course, you know, had you and had Hashim, Habibi, uh, in class with him also, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there was Faisal, Allah, Irhamu too. So the family support, the cousins, they were the, the classroom buddies. Yeah. And that's what the therapist used to say, they need to have buddies. Yeah. Put your um, mind at ease, I'm sure. Of course. Of course, Rasha was the one who actually, for the first six years of her schooling, was alone. She was not in a school that had cousins. Yeah. But, you know, I think she she navigated on her own or made her own buddies and yeah. system in the classroom. But no one that I ever was really aware of. Yeah. I think she just, uh, being a girl, maybe she was able to navigate it a bit better. You know, yeah. she, girls are very good with language. Yeah. So Alhamdulillah, I mean... I just worried about them from one stage to the next to stage the next, to the next yeah, stage, yeah. you know, until they finished university. Then I thought, oh, my God, how are they going to find jobs? Yeah. How who's going to hire them? Even if they take them in the family business, you know, it's going to be so hard. And then, of course, mashallah, they thrive there. And then it was like, oh, my God, how are they going to get married in a culture like ours where people arrange marriages, you know? And then um, just one of them had this arranged marriage. And even that arranged marriage, subhanAllah, I mean, the mom actually told the girl, you know, he's hearing impaired. Yeah, she hadn't met him yet. The girl said, yeah. So she said, well, how are you going to communicate with him? Because the mom hadn't met him. So she said, well, I'll find out when I go to the meeting. <laughs> and then she went to the meeting. And then when she came home, the mom said, so how'd he go? She said, katkut. <laughs> he's cute. <laughs> and I was sitting there thinking. I, could, I cried. That was one of the times I cried. And I thought, oh, my God, what's wrong with me? There is a God up there watching yeah, all this, yeah. you know? All the years of worry. Like, all the years just, of worry, you know? Yeah, it just and all then, worked out. Exactly. I mean, subhanAllah, uh, God has been very gracious and merciful and generous and just always been there. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. What would you say your biggest achievement is, Amma? I know there's a lot. What is the achievement that you're most proud of? I can paint. <laughs> 
seen some pictures of you out on your lawn in that, yeah? <laughs> Go ahead. Um, I really, honestly, I, I can't think of anything except that silly hobby that I just picked up <laughs> recently. <laughs> you know, you don't, I don't know, Muhammad, do people really stop and think and ask themselves about what they've achieved? You know? Maybe not people as humble as you. I saw being humble. I mean, life is a perpetual movement. Maybe I, I should stop and have a bit more reflection. I think so. But I don't sit and reflect. I really don't have time to sit and reflect. There's always something happening, mm -hmm. you know? You're always they, on the move, mashallah. Yeah, Allah. and then, mashallah, big family, and I'm grateful and yeah. that they're part of my life, yeah. you know? And they still need me a little bit, <laughs> you know? And I have wonderful daughters-in-law and a son-in-law that also are not too upset by me hanging around so much, I hope. <laughs> then there's the husband. Then, of course, there's golf. Yeah. You know, and there's work. Yeah. And there's my extended family, my, yeah. my brothers and yeah. my sisters, my cousins. Mm. Uh, it's just busy life. Yeah. It, it, it's funny, you know, I, I grew up all my life. My best friend was your son, Mohammed. And here I am at the age of 37. I have a unique, genuine friendship with every one of your siblings. My, my relationship with your with your eldest Haytham is 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 not like the one that I have with Hamza. It's not like the one I have with Muhammad, who you know I have the deepest roots with, and it's not like the one I have with Russia. Like I genuinely have, you know, like I can go on a week holiday with either one, and it'll just be the best holiday ever, you know. And I don't have that with 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 many people. And something about the four children you raised are so close to my heart, and the love that I have with them, like I can not see them for like Russia. I haven't seen her since her wedding in April uh, or J June of, of last year. I know that if I see her tomorrow, it'll be like we didn't miss a beat, you know? And and that is a real friendship. I'm so fortunate enough, honestly, to have such unique relationships with every single one of your kids. Mashallah. But that, I mean, that's also, it's a credit to you, Muhammad, because you are an incredible person. You're, you're, you're genuine, you're fun. You're my friend too. Yeah, I am. <laughs> No, you and me, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you're my friend too. Yeah. I mean, I can sit down and spend hours just having a good chat yeah. with you. you. You've got that personality, you, you know, mashallah, tabarakallah. You lift me up. You, you say you know? things to me that not many people do. Like you talk about my interpersonal. I'm a look at your interpersonal. But like you pointed out that I have great interpersonal skills and that like really lifts me up. I'm like, wow, no one's ever said that to me. So uh, I think... I come to you when I want to feel good because you, you, you know, you, you tell me things that others don't, and you're very genuine about it. Well, like listen, I grew up in an environment. Okay, I, I had, I grew up with a father that had standards that were practically impossible to reach. Mm -hmm. That was one, and I was basically dubbed the black sheep of the family because I was a bit of a rebel. Do you good, want to good elaborate on that? Yeah, good for nothing, argumentative, <laughs> and then the list goes on. And then I grew up in France. You know, and in a Catholic school, these people only point out what's not working. I grew up in an environment, actually, that just elaborated and highlighted what doesn't work. So when I when I became an adult, and I'm not sure when that happened, but not too long ago, <laughs> it's the truth. I realized actually when I started working and reading a lot of books on behavior and managing behavior and how do you manage people and how do you try to get the best out of people. And that is when really, and the Americans have done a lot of work with that. Mm -hmm. Okay, the Europeans are left behind. Yeah, yeah. way advanced well, America. Way advanced yeah. in America with that. It was, how do you bring out the best in people? Mm -hmm. It's basically you highlight to them 
their strengths. And I kind of started using that at work, and then I use it with my kids, and now I use it with my grandchildren, and it just became who I am. Because I am also sick and tired of hearing, well, it doesn't work. So try to highlight to people, and it really works. If, If I tell you something, oh, you know, you're really good at that, you're going to try to work harder even to make that better. Yeah. If I tell you, you know, you're such a liar. You're not going to go out there thinking, oh, how am I not going to lie? You're going to just sit there rummaging in your head. Oh, my God, I'm a liar. I'm a liar. I'm a liar. And you know it becomes a self-realization thing. Like an affirmation. An affirmation. And heck, I'd like I like people telling me good stuff about myself, so I you know do it to others. But it's true, you have excellent interpersonal skills, and somebody else, your boss, told me that about you. That's something. (laughs) And I I cherish compliments. I thought I should tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Emma. Not to get all deep, but you're involved in the uh, business of psychotherapy and analysis and all that, and I have a question that you know maybe open ended. And I want to throw it at you. I'll see how you tackle it, Amma. At what point are we as humans good enough? When are we self-improved enough to accept ourselves? Oh, wow. At what oh. point are we good enough? You know, people spend their whole lives thinking they're not good enough. I have some dark days myself. When are we self-improved enough to accept uh, the work that we've put into ourselves? Well, for me, they're two separate things, honestly. And it's a very good question, actually. And a very... Um, I think it's probably ad- from reading, you know, superficially uh, on psychology and human behavior, and that actually fascinates me. It fascinates me. I'm very interested. You touched on the subject that I, on one person level, I just feel very uh, interested in human behavior. Yeah. First of all, they're two separate things. Okay, number one, you need to accept yourself without passing judgment and having a benchmark, okay, um, on what you have achieved to accept yourself. If, if it's maybe a bit convoluted the way I'm putting it. In other words, there are people who, have, who are scientists, who have done groundbreaking research, who've saved millions of lives, okay, that can be actually very insecure people and in themselves and have a poor self-esteem because they don't accept they have not accepted themselves so they're really two separate issues we need to not put the two together and i'm not talking of course i'm not a professional so this is from my own reading and from from you know my own experience if you will one needs to just accept oneself with our weaknesses and our strengths and then some people are never happy with what they've achieved Okay, but because, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, you always want to be improve in, in whatever different ways, whether it is um, work on yourself or it is in your work. If you're working, you always want to do better. Yeah. I, I think you die if you stop trying to be better. So. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. You, you, you just wither. Yeah. You should be trying to learn something new or try to improve whatever it is mm-hmm. that you do. For until as long as you're alive, yeah. that's a sep- For me, there are two separate issues. Yeah. But self-acceptance has nothing to do with achievement. Okay. You know, yeah. a, a guy that's not achieved anything but has self-acceptance is a, is a kind of a. And for me, what is when people say I'm not happy? You know, what is I'm, What does it mean? I'm not. I'm happy. What does it happy mean? Happy is a fleeting. Literally, it's a. For me, believe it or not, 
when we're fasting, what's my moment astaghfirullah of happiness? Breakfast. It's that first cup of tea. It's the best. Oh, yeah. so good. Yeah. You know? So that for me is a moment of happiness, but it's a fleeting moment. For me, what it means to be happy is to, to just be at peace. If I'm at peace and not boiling inside or not perturbed or not worried or not anxious, and I just have a moment, I have a moment of contentment and peace, just peace, for me, that's, that's the definition of happiness. That was my next question. <laughs> You're good. Oh, I well, mean, it kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a very uh, inter interesting and, and accurate definition of, of happiness because everyone has a different take on it. But, uh, but Amma, you hit it, you know, you hit the nail on the head uh, with, with that one. Um, it's just not really rocket science, Muhammad. No, really, no. if you're at, uh, happiness is not having problem. Yeah, is being devoid of having problems and anxieties and yeah. worries. Okay, but that famous word of happy is a fleeting moment. It is. It's for that cup of tea. For me, is just maybe grabbing one of my grandchildren yeah. and just. In fact, just them coming to me yeah. and going, oh, Anna, yeah. whether they can speak or not speak, and they just reach their arms and you cuddle, yeah. that moment you literally feel yeah. a physical happiness. Is it temporary happiness? It's is, very temporary. When you say fleeting, you mean okay. fleeting. Yeah. For me, it's yeah. a temporary, temporary. Yeah. It's a job well done. If I'm trying to do something and I do it well. Yeah. For a second, it's like, yeah, yeah, you know? I think the more of those moments you have per day yeah. is going to define how. Yeah. Happy every day. Yeah, you know. but don't sit there and count them. No, definitely not. You know? I'll, I'll stop doing you'll, that. You'll be unhappy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, any regrets for you, Amma? Would you, if you wish to do something differently? Regrets in my life? In your life. Um, yeah, for sure. For sure. The first and foremost regret I have is I did not master my own language. Arabic. Yeah. It's such a beautiful and rich language. And I would have been a heck, a heck of a lot more learned had I known my language better. Mm -hmm. I would have been able to read incredible books that have in, are interest to me. That's my biggest regret, I guess. I think we all suffer from that. Uh, sorry, not all. I think those who, I think those who went to school in an early age, like me as well, suffer from the same thing. It took me ten years to work uh, here in in, in Jeddah uh, amongst. Uh, you know, Saudis every day for my Arabic to be at a very acceptable level mm. where I can do an interview now in Arabic. But I understand where you're coming from. You know, it it it, it irks us that uh, that we're not as fluent as we are. Shameful. Know, writing as English. It's not. Um, it doesn't irk me. I think I'm ashamed. It's shame. I have. I, I agree. I, I am too. Shameful. You know? Yeah. I, I wish my Arabic was as good as my English. One of the reasons why I started an English podcast is because my English is better than my Arabic. <laughs> you know, <laughs> how funny is that? And, and it's something that my wife and I are instilling in our three-year-old that we want him to think in Arabic because, uh, because I don't. And eventually you're going to be back here working. So you're going to be communicating in Arabic, writing in Arabic. You better be thinking in Arabic to, to work, to operate at an optimum level. So I just don't want my son to walk into the same trap that I did. And we have an amazing culture. I mean, you know, we have a, an incredible civilization and culture that's of course pan-arabic yeah and you know the poetry the, the history in terms of the faith and the religion there is just so much beautiful and incredibly enlightening yeah. 
material yeah. out there that rich, yeah. you know that's rich that doesn't really translate very well when you read it in English. No, like dhulm yeah. and unfairness. Yeah. It didn't have right. the same ring to it. The, not definitely not the same impact. <laughs> no. You know, right? It's too soft of a word. Unfairness. Yeah. Unfair. Unfairness. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like it's a schoolyard thing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, Amba, thanks so much for uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule. You have, mashallah, kids and grandchildren that you left for the afternoon to come here on this podcast. Uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, is, there, uh, is there anything you want to close with, anything you want to put out there for the youngsters coming up through the ranks that, uh, that don't know you the way I know you, that can benefit from something you can tell them? Okay, well, I do have a lot of things. First of all, I have to say for an, an older person like me, who's been in the workforce for the last 30 years, uh, it has been incredibly um, uh, lifting and um, to see how the young Saudis are coming up in the world. I mean, this country, inshallah, under the leadership that we have today, who's really valuing the contributions that the young generation and young Saudis can do with, for our country, it just so fast, so quickly. I've seen changes and um, the entrepreneurship, the professionalism, the creativity, the talent. Both our young men and women in Saudi Arabia have just exhibited in such a short time. Absolutely. Uh, it's so exciting to be a, a Saudi. It's exciting to be a young Saudi today. Yeah. And it's exciting to be an older Saudi looking at what's happening, yeah. you know. and and. I, I love your podcast because really you are giving a voice and a face uh, and a platform for the world to see what we have here. And you do it in such a natural, you're one of them, it's such a natural, you have a natural talent for this. You bring out the best in the people sitting here, you make them comfortable. So they're, it, it's just so effortless. And you're representing actually you're the young generation we have here. So all I can say is I'm, I'm learning from the young ones. I don't have anything to tell them how to do because whatever they're doing, they're doing it better than we did it, you know? And it's just so, f just very exciting. And I'm proud to be a Saudi today, really. Yeah. I'm proud to I'm be Saudi today. Optimistic about the future of your grandchildren. Absolutely. One of my sons told me, and uh, you know, he's one of the wiser ones. He said to me, this country, is going to be a better place for my children in the future than it was for me growing up. Yeah, well, you know? I think I know which one. So, you know, it's made me stop to think, and I cannot tell you how happy I was because we grew up loving our country, yeah. and we loved it the way it was back then, yeah. okay? When there was nothing. Uh, when there was nothing. Yeah. And we loved it, and we loved, uh, we just loved everything about it. The tamis, the fool, the balad, <laughs> everything about it was so cool. And it was so good to come back home for, for holidays. And I always worried that my kids might not feel about this, my country, this country, our country, the way I felt, the way we grew up feeling. And I love the fact that my children are just as passionate and yeah. love their country yeah. and are just extremely excited about the future and the prospect and they work so hard yeah. you know yeah and i think that's just wonderful alhamdulillah we're blessed we're blessed we're blessed to have and i haven't touched on this on the podcast yet but i will those in my generation feel a strong tie to the leadership we have someone who's our age you know who's seeing it through our lens 
So there's so much excitement in the air that, you know, yes, we have someone that can relate to us. Mm. 50% of the population is under the age of 21, I think, something ridiculous like that. So these guys are the future, you know, those under 21 years old. And we have a leader who's our age, wants what we want, sees what we see. We want to, we see what's happening in the UAE. We want to be better than that. And, and I just love the government initiatives behind people who are talented, you know, be it in a sport or like a business idea, like they'll get behind you, they'll push you, they'll support you. Wasn't the case 10 years ago. You know, for Alhamdulillah, that we really are in a very yeah. fortunate position. Well, but then, excuse me, why is the UAE our benchmark? Uh, just you. I mean, in, in my circles, oh, you hear it. Let's where. be like Dubai. No. And we don't want to be like Dubai. We, we, no, but I think today the appetite is no. Let's be better than Dubai. You know, yeah. Like this I mean, neon we... business that's developing the line, that's going to overshadow Dubai. Like I'll, um, I'll even go on record and saying that's going to be something the world has never seen. Yeah. I'm excited about that. So are your sons. So Dubai was the benchmark, but now I think our appetite is way beyond that. Look, why I say that we're going to be better than Dubai is because we have the population, yeah. okay, and they don't. Yeah. So Dubai, at the end of the day, the population is, uh, 80% of it is a foreign population, yeah. not the indigenous people. And they kind of, the indigenous people you feel in Dubai, they live a, a, a sort of a tandem you know, yeah. parallel life to what, what's going on with Dubai, yeah. you know. Wicked dichotomy. Of course. Yeah. But, but here in Saudi, it's the Saudis. It's that real. Are, yeah, yeah. It's the people. It's us, you know. But I do want to say one thing, okay. Don't forget your heritage. Don't forget your history. Because where you go in the future, it, it all has to do for where you've come from. Yeah. One of the things, for example, I mean, I worked for, I was part of a member of the Mansujat Foundation. You need to also have uh, somebody. On my radar. On your radar. Is, yeah. You know, they need to come here and talk yeah. about this. Definitely. Our textile heritage, you know, very exciting what the young designers now are doing. Some of them are actually getting inspired by our rich, rich. Yeah. I mean, incredible costumes that we have in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Second to none, uh, honestly. Second to none. Yeah. People thought the abaya, the black abaya, is our heritage. Yeah. It's oh, not. That's you sad. know, We have the most colorful and beautiful costumes and uh, headdresses across the different tribes. Every tribe has a different costume, a different history behind this costume. They've just published a book, actually. The first book ever published mm. on, and documented by you know, professors from the university about the, the, the history of, of a lot of mm -hmm. the background of the tribes mm -hmm. and, the, and the, the, the costumes. So we need to hold on to our cultural heritage yeah. as we move forward, yeah. okay? Let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater, yeah. you know? Yeah. We don't want to become a Western country Okay, I hope this will never happen. No. We'll mm -hmm. take the best from what, exactly. and learn from the Put our West, spin on it. Yeah. and then make sure we hold on to our beautiful yeah. culture and our heritage and our history and our faith and our religion that will always make sure that our ethics are not forget that yeah, when in, we in check in check so well put so well beautifully put Amazulana. sorry i had to put a little I, 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 I love what you said there thank you so much yeah. thank you again taking the time saying what you did thank you i love the work that you do i will always do i mean mashallah the last 30 years it's been 30 years alhamdulillah 30, 30 years. years are you definitely a it's celebration sorry. coming up this year uh, yeah okay uh, that's post covid inshallah post covid that's amazing and then the legacy that you and uh, amulid will leave behind is you know 
what I take from this episode, like how you have touched the hearts uh, of many in our community and beyond, and how you've made the world a better place. I, uh, I, I love you as my aunt, and I love you as how much you've done for our community, and I just love you in general. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Amma. Again. I'm glad I didn't make you cry. You know, yeah. it wasn't my intent. <laughs> Told you, don't push my button. <laughs> and I, I would never. <laughs> and, and yeah, thank you for being so gracious and sharing all the stories that you did with us. Thank you very much for having me and giving me a platform to, you know, have just a lovely uh, hour sitting, chatting with you. Yeah. You know, I just missed a cup of tea, but, you know, maybe <laughs> for another time. Can arrange that for you. <laughs> Thanks, Amma. <laughs> thank you, Mohammed. Thank you so thank much. You so much. Bye-bye. Ma-salam. And as a thank you from our friends over at Dukkan Afkar, they've very generously given us a 10% discount for us to use on their app that you can see right now. When you get to the checkout counter, just enter MoShow. Offer expires on June 8th, which is in two months from today. Oh.